go. Good to go. Good to go. What was that? Is that a yellow, yellow wolf? wolf? That's right. That's a good poll, huh? Remember that shit. Uh, hi, everybody, and welcome to Agitator. Today on the program, we have another Classico for you. Going back to our roots as uh, two geniuses saying genius stuff about genius movies. Today, we're talking about Takashi Miike's 2013 unreleased in the U.S. undercover cop story, Mole Song, uh, which surprised the shit out of me. I didn't expect much because of the stigma of it not being released in the U.S. Uh, we can get into why that almost certainly happened here in a bit. But uh, I thought this was like maybe not S tier, but it's definitely A tier. Yeah, way up there. I was like, this is a perfect fucking movie. Uh, so much. It's like, um, it's The Departed, basically. But Mike to the extreme. Like, a really good, a really good example of kind of the tip that we've been on with our writing lately, where the stylistic flourishes are getting kind of annoying, even to us. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. just wanting to like write cool shit. This movie is extremely mainstream in its premise. Like it's a guy. It's The Departed. If you've seen The Departed, it's that, but with yakuza and a whole lot funnier <laughs> and dripping, yeah. dripping in every Mikeism that there is. It might be the most Mike movie that I've seen yet it might be I think that this movie like you said it's all in what he does with the material which has been something that we've been manifestoing about for several episodes now you brought up with our own writing I wanted to touch on that real quick because I'm rocking and rolling along on this project and what I did was I went back and I read and a lot of people can get the more in-depth story of this if you subscribe to the Agitator Patreon for either a dollar or five dollars a month. This is in one of my fuck Twitter segments. But I read a bunch of mainstream pulp books, Indiana Jones novelizations, uh, Tomb Raider, and then I just started going on Amazon and looking up, uh, you know, fucking the first few pages of James Patterson books and shit, and it all clicked for me because it's just information. Right, it's just straight up information. And I was talking to our mutual Broken River collaborator, Eddie Rathke, whose uh, new book, Glossolalia, narrated by Mr. Kelby Losak, is dropping very soon. Another thing to keep an eye out for. But he was telling me that his wife says that she can't get into a book unless it starts with a character description, being inside a character's head, um, their thoughts, kind of what they look like. She says, without that, she feels kind of lost. And that, dude, light bulbs just started going off in my head. I was like, oh, right. There's this form, this mainstream popular form that I keep ignoring because I get, I sweat the details. I get hung up on the, the way that the lines sound and you know, leaving some things out in clever ways so that people can fill it in with their own imagination. People don't want to use their own fucking imagination when they're reading a book. They want to be told a story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and or it's also and, you and know so... in the they they kind of <coughs> do like some of them do where it's like uh-huh. in the way that they're like i'm picturing it you know which okay Correct. everybody yes. does but the people who say that shit and who read a lot of normie mainstream books they mean like they kind of want you to put the picture in there for them Exactly, exactly. And I've always thought of writing as this collaboration between the reader and the writer where I'm giving you just enough to make the picture in your head. And some people really fuck with that, but not enough to make a living off of. And we here at the Agitator Podcast, you know, shout out to Contain. We are fin punk as fuck. We're trying to make money. Uh, Money isn't the goal of art, but it also is. And... um, so anyway, so to get the people who actually buy books and become fans, we've been studying these kind of mainstream books and adopting their methods in order to sort of hijack them and maybe sneak some weird shit in here and there. And that's exactly exactly what Miike does with the Mole Song. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's not even sneaky. It's like super stylish, but it's uh True. like it's front to back stylish. I was kind of thinking of okay, what would this look like as a book? Like how like because he's doing the thing that I'm trying to do. How do I do this with my books? And it's kind of like the cool shit that's the shit that happens and the shit that's crazy. The crazy characters. Okay, just describe the character. They're, they're fucking crazy. He, he meows at the end of every sentence. He's got diamond, Johnny Dang, cat fangs. Like, just describe that shit. Uh, the crazy action shit, just beat by beat, this is what happens. The other shit, it's also where it actually gets... It has to get more stylish than the other just cool shit that's happening whenever it's in an exposition scene, of which there are a lot in this movie it's full of exposition it's full of explaining what's going on characters talking the you know cops meeting up to be like this is what's happening with the ecstasy and blah 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 and but in a lot of those scenes that's where like the flourishes come like where it slows down and gets kind of boring that's where like the the style can come in to keep you keep you going stringing you to the next crazy shit because when they're talking about if you ever so the the cops are talking to Reggie who's the the mole basically and they're explaining to him that if you ever get caught they're going to kill you and it they're singing it it's in the form of a song yeah <laughs> and then it it cuts to these south park looking animations of Reggie having a you know his feet put on cinder blocks and thrown into the ocean where there are a bunch of other bodies and then there's this part where he's in the desert and he's got his feet tied to the ass end of two different horses so they they draw and quarter him and his legs are spread and then a big vulture flies out of the sky digs deep into his ass and starts pulling his guts out through his ass <laughs> and it's all animated right it's all animated but that is a compelling visual to go along with a very rote plot point that we all we all know we all know that if an undercover agent gets caught by the the yakuza they're toast but it's in how you decide to show it the extreme ways that you show it. and that's what the mole song really is it's a it's a standard plot at times it felt a little bit like austin powers to me just with the amount of jokes and goofiness and slapstick <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> but but it's i mean it goes through the Miike tonal shifts, right? I mean, like the again, at the very end of the second third of the movie, the second act, uh, it it slows way the fuck down. It gets remarkably serious for everything that came before it, right? Which we can, I guess, talk about later. But that's you know, ultimately, that's my first takeaway from this movie is that it's why why are we wasting our time trying to reinvent the wheel? You know, when we could just... I mean, it's like trying to find a different kind of canvas every time you make a painting. You're like, well, I need this ca this canvas to be made out of cowhide. And it's like, fool, just go buy a canvas from Hobby Lobby. Yeah, just make like, another go, painting. Go spend 15 what bucks. Yeah, just make another painting. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know, and similarly, it's like, well, this, this you know, it's a forest, but what, what's the take on the forest that's never been done before? And it's like, just thinking in that way, you, you're going to fuck it up, right? Because... The best kinds of art come from people who, who legitimately think that they're making mainstream normie shit, but they're insane. Like David Lynch. Like, I don't think David Lynch, maybe this isn't true, but I don't think David Lynch really sets out to make the weirdest shit he can. It just comes out that way because he's a weird fucking dude. Yeah. No, I mean, just staying on Mike is a perfect example because it's like, true. you know, all right, here's my mainstream movie. It's like, you sure about that, dog? <laughs> you sure? Yeah. Zebraman, here's my Super Sentai. You know, uh, uh, we got to watch Zebraman too also because that, that shit looks hard as fuck. But yeah, this is my gangster movie. This is, he, when he made Itchy the Killer, he said, this is my movie about love, right? Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah. That, yeah, I, uh, that makes total sense. It is. Yeah, it I get is, that. But uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Speaking of Zebra Man, Kankuro Kudo shouts out to our boy writing the bowl song. Yeah, yeah. And it's got uh, Endo in it too. 
I think Endo, Kenichi Endo, is in almost every Takashi Miike movie. He's in like Visitor Q. He was in Superman. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, in this one, Takayuki Yamada, the uh, yeah, uh, Sarazawa from Crow Zero is that uh, is the like mm-hmm. the bad <laughs> the bad Yakuza guy, <laughs> the guy who's just blonde. That's that's his distinguishing characteristic. Is he's blonde? He was spooky though. He was. He did. He, he came off as a little spooky to me, even though he doesn't really say anything. He does look like he's got the just the dead eyed. The fish stare, the the fish lips, just you know, it's just, it just kind of looks fucking weird. Mm-hmm. But he's also like he's the quote unquote bad guy, but not really because he's not really focused on until it's the end and they need a bad guy. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah, it's kind of like is, I was thinking about his role and how he how he comes across, obvious and especially how he comes across to Reggie because Reggie's an undercover cop and he's trying to bust the bad guys and it's like well here is your legit like yeah he's a bad guy but as far as like like he doesn't backstab anybody he is yakuza he works directly under the boss like he and the boss are Mm -hmm. like nah we fuck with drugs we fuck with we're about money here like so like some of the other yakuza they're like no i don't fuck with drugs blah 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 they're like well we're about getting the bread so we fuck with some drugs and uh (laughs) it's like i mean it's a movie full of yakuza so to call him the bad guy is kind of like eh but he does have a a sinister presence to him yeah, he's got a sinister presence, and this goes back to how we figured out Miike makes movies, which is by taking these typical uh, plot structures and approaching them, each one, as their own unique movie. So if something dramatic needs to happen, like the climax needs to happen, okay, well, we need a villain. Well, Miike's going to do all the work of building that villain in, like, the 15 minutes of the climax. And if there needs to be some kind of like i'm thinking very specifically of the scene where the movie kind of gets a little serious so reiji is um he's undercover he wants to become a yakuza and he's walking around with his mentor figure and the mentor figure is taking him to collect a debt and the guy who's whose debt it is is dead so he's like we're gonna go extort this money from his parents and the movie, for the first time, slows way the fuck down. And they're standing there in this rustic rundown, but still wabi-sabi, beautiful Japanese village. And these two old, 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 we're talking 80, 90-year-old couple. They're Yoda. Up the road, car- they're Yoda carrying bushels of corn with them, you know, just broke as fuck. And <clears throat> Reiji's uh, obviously morally conflicted about what they're about to do. And so they're talking to this old couple, and his mentor reaches into his jacket pocket. So Reiji, thinking that he's grabbing a gun, grabs his hand, and they share this look for a really long time. And then the guy pulls out two stacks and gives them to the to the old people and says, hey, this is from your son. Uh, and I was just like, damn. That was an oddly powerful scene that if it had been moving at the same pace as the rest of the movie wouldn't have hit right. But Miike is a he's not approaching it from a cohesive pacing thing he's like no this is the pace that this scene needs and a normal person would be like well don't you need a segue don't you need to flow from one to the next and he's like uh no no no, no. even to the point of right before like when they land on the island um i was it takihara no that was the other dude uh whatever his mentor is flying this this little uh like you know boat jet thing and uh this tailspin plane that's painted like a butterfly and Mm. because papillon his name's papillon papillon that's right yeah 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 so every everything's got to be dripping in style like visually in this movie so they're Mm -hmm. flying this butterfly plane and uh reggie is like do you have your pilot's license and he's just like (laughs) and and then they land on the island and all the like there is no segue at all wait wait what what do you what do you actually want though i'm confused if you don't want me to pick you up then what do you want to do he's he's walking around looking tired as hell with his just arms down at his sides he's just stumbling around hey you want to go to bed 
Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to be treated to a classic techno tune from the Blade soundtrack. It's called Confusion Pump Panel Remix, and it is the the tune that plays during the opening blood rave scene of Blade. And it's also what puts this kid to bed. Well, he's playing with his fishing pole now, so I'm going to let him play with that for a little bit. But you will hear it soon. Anyway, <laughs> you were saying? Um, yeah, no, that's the segue that we get for that scene is this little, mm-hmm. you know, low-hanging fruit joke of just, you have your pilot's license? <laughs> Doesn't And Papillon tells, like, the way that he gets him in is that uh, he thinks that Reggie's funny. He thinks that, and I can't remember exactly what happens to make Papillon laugh. I think that I think Reggie, oh. Reggie as a character is like just this guy who is he just barrels through life, but it somehow just kind of works out for him. Yeah, because he graduated police academy with the lowest score possible. Yeah, and he's he's portrayed as a dumbass. Like, he's portrayed as a dumbass, a pervert. One of the best early scenes is the thing that gets him, quote-unquote, fired from the police force, right? Fired so that they can clandestinely hire him on as a mole, is that he beats up this shop owner, and the shop owner is making shoplifters, young girls, show him their panties, basically. And Reggie catches him doing that and beats the fuck out of him. He has this great line where he's like, he's like, uh, you're a pervert who mistreats these girls and while I might be a pervert too I don't exploit people in the process and so you know he's a he's a perv he's a virgin he's a, a kind of a slapstick dumbass character and that's I love the way the movie didn't try to get around that necessarily by like having him change into some kind of superhero he's he's always that guy throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I, I love that um there feels like a lot of meta moments in this like sort of little bit subdued meta commentary on the art which helps make it possibly one of like Mike's masterpiece because the whole thing kind of does feel like a commentary on Mike and mm. what makes him great and also I mean and being that kind of lends so our theory that this was not released in the U.S., how you brought up, you know, this probably didn't come out over here because it, it's it's not politically correct at all. <laughs> no, no. Basically, it's got a bunch of pervy shit. Uh, there's the scene that I could see, you know, U.S. Cent- not censors, but just, you know, the people with the money who are going to print the DVDs or the Blu-rays or whatever. Yeah, I know. I saw it. The- the paint went under the bed. How are we going to get it? How are we going to get it? Oh no, I can't reach. I can't reach, Gus. I can't reach it. I can't reach it. No, I'm just kidding. I reached it. Um, there's a scene in particular where the love interest, also completely undeveloped. Did you just push it right back under the bed? Hmm. <laughs> what lesson? What lesson are we learning? What lesson are we learning today? He's, he's learning how to play fetch with dad. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. I think I'm teaching him stuff. He's like, who is this dumbass? Just keep it. All I have to do is roll it under the... All I have to do is roll it under and start to whine and cry. And then... No, he's literally trying to put, push these under the bed. You're 100% correct. He's going for it again. Uh, right, the scene. The scene. The love interest is completely undeveloped. But it's like the love of his life, this this cop, this like cute cop girl. She's we cut to a scene and she's in her apartment by herself and she's talking about like her boobs. She's like, oh man, they're starting to sag. That sucks. And then uh, there's a creepy moment where there's a giant present box in her kitchen, and you see a hand come out of it and unzip the present, and Reggie pops out and he's like, I need to have sex with you right now. <laughs> I have to. I have, and he like throws her on the ground and like starts climbing on her and trying to kiss her. And she's like, "What the fuck?" He's like, "I need you. I need you." This is the hero of the movie, right? And then she says, "Like, no, I'm not going to." And then he starts to cry and says, "I guess I'll just go die a virgin then." And then she has sex with him. Yeah. Right. So he like. 
<laughs> and it, it is a very, very, very funny scene, but you could just see people being like, what is, what is this? What are, this does not live up to America in 2022's standards for uh, you know, sexual interactions between people. It's also like, movies don't teach you interaction with people. I don't know. I was watching, Erica and I were watching Saw Married an Axe Murderer last night. And classic, yeah, classic. And sure, there's like, I don't know, there's undeveloped shit, there's uh, un PC things. I mean, it's not the craziest example of what some people would consider outdated these days, but I'm chilling there with my wife, who I respect and love a whole lot, and we're just enjoying watching this movie. It's like, what, like. Why do things need to be outdated? It, it's just, right. it's a movie. It's funny for some dude to be like, have sex with me right now. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, a, it's like, well, it's not funny when it happens in real life. Well, neither is getting punched in the nuts, but I still laugh at jackass. It's because it's happening to people who are not real. And it's allowing you to see the comedy in the moment with nobody's feelings hurt. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's that's kind of just a. I feel like most listeners of the show by now get what we're talking about with that. You know, it's just like this shit is funny, but I can again. It also means that I can totally see why the Mole Song did not get a release in the U.S. Right? It's also why I'm a to, Japanese they, nationalist. Exactly. Same. Uh, but you know, I mean they'd probably have to cut that. And I have to imagine that Miike is a guy who doesn't really let people cut his movies. Uh, he does, for his work for Higher Ethic, he seems pretty uh, foot down, like stand your ground about his his final cut. I could be wrong about that, but it seems like there's shit that makes it into his movies that you know the suits had to be like, hey, uh, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Like, Zebra Man's a good example. Right? It's a children's movie. All the, like, rapey shit and that. <laughs> He's like, no. Yeah. No, this stays. <laughs> it stays. It stays. The rape stays. This old man is putting his nose up this underage girl's skirt. This is a kid's movie. He's like, yeah. It is a kid's movie. Yep. And the kids have to learn. The kids have to learn. The kids need to learn this that is rape is funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, so, what else is there to say? Oh, another favorite line of mine is when Papillon... So Papillon saves um, Reiji from a Yakuza attack that starts off being shot a lot like the way he shoots, you know, Rainy Dog or Crow Zero. All the action, and by the way, reminded me a lot of Crow Zero. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the, 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 the brawling. Um, but they get ambushed by the kitty cat man who wears, you know, fur coats and like you were saying, has these like jaws from from Moonraker, uh, sharp grill teeth. And um, so he's hiding underneath a car and he's, you know, dual wielding pistols and Papillon lifts Reiji up over his shoulders and just an absurd amount of shots to the shins and knees and feet. And uh, which is, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's also like done with this kind of realistic blood effect that's that's kind of gory to look at which somehow makes it funnier so he loses his legs and he gets kidnapped by a guy covered in leopard print tattoos and brought to the spooky operating room where you think he's going to be tortured and uh at the end of the movie he shows up at the climax with two new cyborg legs and reggie says papillon you can walk how did this happen and Papillon says, well, let me tell you the story. And he like lights up like a, you know, like a Gundam character and starts like spinning around and shit. And he's like, a crazy scientist gave me badass cybernetic legs. That's it. And then the, the scene is just over. And I, I thought that the truncated nature of that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, he's like, pay attention. I'm only going to tell you this once. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have cyborg legs now. That's it. <laughs> this guy who doesn't speak Japanese gave them to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Weird actor too. Very strange voice and yeah, like 
Because that's another thing that Mike does is that he'll take things that, you know, if you want to have a mad scientist or whatever, um, you, can, you can have them have a missing eyeball or something like that or a hunchback. But he's like, no, I'm going to find the most genuinely creepy dude that I can find to play this dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of people playing people, like I said, the movie's just full of oddball characters. There's the pussycat guy. There's a... Uh, you brought up the leopard. This is a guy covered in leopard tattoos. And the reason that he comes back around to snatch up uh, Papio is because he was initially sent to put a hit on Papio and Papio has bulletproof windows because apparently, you know, Yakuza have, like, unexplained amounts of money. It's just whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever is cool for the moment. They, uh, they had enough for that. Uh, and they have this little showdown He's about to light him on fire, but he says yeah. he says something funny, and uh, he he like closes the lighter back and says, "I'm gonna let you live. The world needs more interesting people." And uh, he says, "If you ever wanna if you ever wanna play again, you know, feel free." And then that's what, like later on, Leopard Man, he's riding his bicycle because he crashed his motorcycle. <laughs> So he's riding this little bicycle, smoking a cigarette, looking like a child, and it covered in leopard tattoos. And uh, he kills the security outside the hospital, goes in and snatches up Papio, who lost his legs, snatches him up in like a pillowcase, and makes off. <laughs> I thought that was. It's like the audition. It's like the audition sack. <laughs> you know? I thought that was hilarious the way he's like. They're like we found we found footage of this guy, and it shows the leopard man on the security camera with like a pillow. Yeah, like this little sack, because it's like, oh, he's mm-hmm. small enough now to just stuff in a sack because he doesn't have fucking legs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you come to find out there's like a mutual respect there. It's like, no, nah, actually, like I- I'm a I'm gonna make you a badass because you you saved my life or whatever well he said it's because he had a dream he said he had a dream with a beautiful butterfly right that was what changed his perspective on it right which is great why is he their friend now because he had a dream Mm -hmm. of a beautiful butterfly all this poetic shit like they're just it's like kind of it's like you said you can just be you can just do some mainstream shit but because you're insane like these little things are gonna come out in the process mm-hmm. that's what you and i just ha- are learning to embrace i think where it's like yeah, yeah. i'm just gonna write yeah. a cyberpunk story and exactly well and it's because there's this difference between the kind of writer who i used to be who was extremely painstaking about every line which is why you only got one book for me every three years and that book was only a hundred pages long you know still a book still a book mm-hmm. but a short one and few and far between because I'd have to sit and let these ideas percolate forever and then I wasn't ready to do it until I knew it would all come out in like a three-day perfect rush and now I'm thinking okay I've done that five or six times but there's this whole extra toolkit of storytelling and writing that I'm pretty much completely ignoring because of this style that I have. A style, by the way, that's not translating into the type of sales that I want it to, right? My first book sold like crazy by the time, uh, and Black Gum sold well too, but it's been a progressively fewer and fewer people buying these books as they go on. And I think it's because at a certain point people want to hear a story from you. Like they want to see that you can do, like, what? Whoa, dude! <laughs> That was so cool. Do it again. Throw the Christmas lights. That was that was really cool, man. People want to see that you can do other stuff. They they want to know that they're in the hands of a of an actual storyteller instead of just a stylist who's really fucking good at putting words together in a musical, rhythmic, vibey kind of way. Like that'll only take you so far. Yeah. 
And I kind of, I mean, I've kind of become the same way as a reader, too. A lot of people who are, you know, I like their voice, I'll read their short stories, I'm like, yeah, this, this motherfucker's got the sauce. But then they come out with a book and it's like, all this word salad of like describing what it is and it's this vibe it's this whatever and i'm like what's it about like is it about something can mm-hmm. something be about something please yeah it's like this this book will rip your dick off and saw your head off with a chainsaw it's an explosion of imagination and word play when i see blurbs like that i, I know to stay far 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 the fuck away right because i'm looking for the blurbs that are saying things like you know you keep turning the pages, right? You, um, like, this book is, you know, it's the, it's, it's the moment, as, uh, you know, Jack and Zach would say, you know? This, this thing, like, this is just a great story that I really enjoy. Because, again, not to repeat myself, but it's just having the tools and the toolkit to do it. And coming to terms with the idea that, you know, if, if your goal is to sell books and make money, but the type of book you want to write, whether it's good or bad or in between, is idiosyncratic and not appealing to a mainstream audience, you're never going to reach your goal. And what that leads to is a lot of motherfuckers who, who instead of uh, you know, just learning, the, learning their scales, basically, decide to simp endlessly on the internet for the attention of like the three people who could potentially give them a book deal of which they'll publish one book and it'll tank and then they'll never work in mainstream publishing again instead of doing all that you can skip all that bullshit and just learn how to write a fucking book Mm -hmm. that's why the people who consistently like we um clarity came a long time ago for us leaving the end or leaving bit by will a bit by ostracization of uh the whole indie circle being like oh actually you know who reads pretty much everybody uh there's not a shortage of readers and who thinks all the normie shit sucks a lot of people including normies but there's this Mm -hmm. niche of independent writers of horror erotica uh urban gang romance fiction sci-fi fantasy sci-fi fantasy and they public uh, there's actually a dude from my hometown who's older than me but he um he does he makes his living off of writing he writes like sci-fi shit just sci-fi pulp yeah and right publishes himself and like that's really those are the people winning in this in the writing absolutely game. absolutely lucas hipped us to this guy matt shaw i haven't read any of his books yet uh, they don't really look like my thing, but he makes a living, as far as I know, because he just pumps out book after book after book. And, you know, some of them are like erotic horror, and they'll have these covers that say, you know, do not read if you're under 18. This has lots of corpse fucking in it, or whatever, <laughs> you know. And people go for that shit, and that's his thing. That's what he likes to write. But it's about finding out where you in the mainstream intersect you have to find out where that is because you can't you also can't fake this shit Mm-mm. right you can't be like oh well i'm gonna go out and write a fucking bigfoot romance it's like no you don't understand dude the women who write that shit and make you know hundreds of thousands of dollars doing that they really want to fuck bigfoot or get fucked by i guess get fucked by bigfoot yeah no um, i i narrate so you, you, uh you can't fake it i narrate regularly for uh i get like a book a month from this erotic uh erotica writer who is 100% serious about all the dominatrix shit and the like gay fantasies it's like it's it's all it's all coming from the heart yeah so if you don't want to you know get cuffed by the dominant cop you can't really write that book but mm-hmm. what you can do is say okay you know in our case we like anime we like yakuza movies cyberpunk uh Tomb Raider, Indiana Jones, like all this kind of stuff. I basically just like, you know, I catalog the things that I genuinely enjoyed when I was a teenager before all this psyop bullshit started and I started liberal artsing my own taste in things. 
And then you're like, oh, okay, so this is stuff that I genuinely like. And it's a form, by the way, that I think is appealing in a way. If it wasn't so clunky all the time, but the ability to make an author disappear and to just have pure story and image being transmitted to people, I think that's really interesting from a um, from a decentering the author perspective. All of it from a theory perspective fascinates me. But you find those two things and you put them together and you try to make that work, basically. So you can tell people who pick up your book, you know, okay, this book is like if Akira met Winner's Bone, or this book is basically a futuristic version of, uh, well, I shouldn't talk about that one yet, but um, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying, right? It's like you basically you basically uh, have to find the the middle ground, but this shit just this shit just ain't gonna work, you know what I mean? Like these people who are coming out with like their third book of you know like this is the story of what it's like to be lost and aimless in you know Oklahoma. I'll just I'll put myself on blast for that. It's like yeah, I mean like there's just a lot of people when they sit down they're trying to figure out what they want to read they don't actually want to read stuff that they're living because <laughs> that doesn't make any fucking sense it's supposed to be an escape yeah that's why hurricane season resonated so hard with people who are already familiar with my shit is because they were like oh this is a ghost story like it's, it's your hood rat shit and it's set here where we live and everything but like this is a ghost story like this is some weird shit mm-hmm mm-hmm and I think Letting Out the Devils was necessary, right? I think that Black Gum and Letting Out the Devils were both necessary books for us to write because we we completely killed the genre. Like there's not going to be better books of those of those of that nature anymore, you know? So at the same time, like why would why would we keep writing that book? It's like, no, we did it. <laughs> let me go let me go try to do something that I'm not good at, which is write like a, a me version of James Patterson or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna write the road, but mm -hmm. but uh, uh, I'm Akira poisoned, so <laughs> and I'm Mike poisoned, so it's gonna be whatever whatever that version of it is. Mm -hmm. And there's th yeah. this this movie also, you know, Mo Song felt like it was a. Uh, actually in the movie kind of saying that that like art needs this not necessarily return but to look at the past and try to take those things like what you were saying like the teenage years before the psyop shit take those things you enjoy and bring them to now um mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you know there's like uh a yakuza ritual you know brotherhood ceremony that goes down in the film where oh, Re fantastic. Reggie is one of the be one of my favorite scenes. Just everything about it, the set piece, the you know Reggie has this crazy Dragon Ball Z hair, um, mm -hmm. which he doesn't like. You know he's just rocking it for the ceremony, and he's being belligerent because he forgot his lines. He forgot how the ritual is supposed to go down. He had a cheat sheet like drawn on his hand. And then when drinking, when drinking the tea, it like wipes away. So he's like, fuck. And so he's just like going wild. He, he has to show a sign of, you know, commitment. So he eats the cup and swallows the porcelain the cup, porcelain cup yeah. and he swallows the pieces and everybody's like, what the fuck? Like and then one of the dudes, you know, one of the old heads is like, "I'll kill you! I'll kill you!" And uh, mm -hmm. the the boss is like, "This is my son. He his manners yeah. his manners are despicable, but I can see he has soul." <laughs> right. He says, you know, at one point he says, kind of because the before that scene even happens, he he Reggie gives the big boss the side eye, so the big boss punches him in the face, and then. Uh, steps on his throat and he's like he's like why are you looking at me like that boy and Reggie basically says like one day I'm gonna fucking kill you I'm gonna be behind you and I'm gonna fucking kill you and you're like whoa Jesus Christ how's he gonna get out of this one and then the boss just basically is like ah reminds me of the good old days when people had spirit yeah <laughs> hell yeah yeah and I can see I'm where I'm where the old people are at in this movie and mm -hmm. where it's like 
Yeah, bring back the Yakuza shit. You remember when shit was cool. You remember when people had soul. You remember when things were interesting. And that's what, like, Papillo, he values... He says Yakuza need to be funny. Like, he says that a few times. And, uh... Whenever he's first amused by Reggie. Because, Reggie, the, the joke that I think you were trying to remember was when, uh... Reggie takes a knife out and kind of, like, mm-hmm. half-assed commits seppuku. Um... Mm. and it goes into the south park animation mode where he's like pulling out his own guts and tying them into uh tying his intestines into like butterflies and then these gutterflies are flying around and uh papillo is like this guy's amazing <laughs> um, whoopsie whoopsie sorry kid just i just turned around and <laughs> just fucking sent the kid flying <laughs> Sorry, bud. My bad. <laughs> my, my bad. Here. Here, soccer ball. There you go. <laughs> Alright. Instead of flying like the bald cat, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, this movie uh, was really a breath of fresh air. I've already downloaded part two. I know we've got other movies on the docket, but I might just uh, independently watch the rest of the series and then whenever we feel like it if we even need to you know because if it could just be more of the same and it it's not worth going back over but uh i liked hanging out in this world it's very colorful it's very funny and both predictable and unpredictable at the same time yeah yeah i was also thinking about how like um because on a plot level it is very much the departed you know Papillo mm-hmm. is Jack Nicholson, and uh, uh, Reggie is Leonardo DiCaprio, and like, but Americans are so caught up in the like noir stuff and the trying to be complex and difficult to follow, mm-hmm. and like, oh, you mm-hmm. see this crazy mm-hmm. twist, and it's like, you could just be good you know yeah it, it, have you tried that have you tried just being good not even mm-hmm. fun not mm-hmm. even not even like entertaining because um i never ever want to be misconstrued as somebody who thinks for example any of the marvel movies are good that shit is anti everything that i stand for with art uh, mm-hmm. 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 but so i'm not saying like let people enjoy stuff just have fun no actually the mole song is a masterpiece and the departed is trying too hard yeah i did like the departed i did like i I did i did like the departed but i'm just always reminded why westerners just don't quite and it's one of those things where you start it right it's like i started this because you know mike and a lot of Japanese filmmakers, like, they take stuff from Western filmmaking. So, you know, the whole mm-hmm. noir thing obviously was, like, French, but then, like, adopted over the decades throughout, you know, Hollywood and all that shit. And it's like, and then Japan gets to look over and be like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do my weirdo Japanese version of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is just also Which, what you know, we're we're adopting too. You know, the, this oh that's yeah. that's really cool. I'm gonna do my version of that. Yeah, exactly. That's one of my. If I have sort of manifesto tenets, it's a lot of the stuff that we talked about. But the other one is, you know, stop trying to invent IP, like brand new IP, because it goes back to the canvas thing. Why would you do that every single fucking time? Like, oh, I need a brand new world with brand new characters it's like no go get some fucking go get some ai generated stock images like just 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 try that out for starters and then then maybe one day you can sort of write your own version of the world but like when you stop trying to reinvent new ip not only is it a load off of your shoulders but it's also something that a reader immediately recognizes it's why so many people go to the you know lord of the rings game of thrones fantasy world like they like you got elves you got dwarves you got humans you have dragons and then you know game of thrones is a good example of a book that did something different with those tropes 
but did not fully reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. I mean, even go back with what I said a little bit, where, like, you know, that's why superheroes resonated for so long. You know, when I was growing up, nobody was, like, choked by the, you know, nobody was suffocated by the AI-generated superhero movie of the week. It was, but everybody was buying comic books and shit because Batman, Superman, these were our myths. Like, yeah, it's it's mythology. It's just, it's translating archetypes. Yep. Yep, exactly. You don't have to, now it's gotten to the point where, you know, the movies are just, the Marvel movies, I think, don't hit because they're so... Um, they just don't have anything that's really innovative in them. There's no spirit. Um, there's no spirit to them. There's no spirit, you know, and there, uh, there's a lot of... So take ones that I think are actually pretty okay, like Thor uh, Ragnarok. I thought that one was pretty good. Uh-huh. Even in that movie, you're not scratching the surface of like a C-tier Miike movie in terms of energy or creativity. Right, that's that's how inert these movies are to me because you know, I mean it's it's like mildly funny and some of the sets are really cool and you know, there's the whole fighting the the alien monsters trope. It's it's cool, right? It's it it kind of works. But like you take something like Captain America Civil War or something and it's like, man, there's just nothing going on here that's that interesting right i mean it's just it's not unless you like looking at iron man and captain america which i th- i really think that's as far as it goes for some people i think that some people just think that iron man looks cool and so they'll watch a movie with iron man in it as long as it's you know passable yeah hey bubs come on let's go outside let's get some sunlight yeah where i because you're just wandering around the house where come i on. think that whole all that shit got a little closer to like Ragnarok is a, a good example of like well it's a good example of everything you said but it still doesn't even scratch the surface and like Winter Soldier was kind of closer to where it was like going against what you expect where they're like not even in costume most of the movie it's like a it's like a Captain America Black Widow road trip movie and mm-hmm. they're just like doing detective shit out of character and but I don't know it's yeah there's not enough energy there's not enough soul there's not enough despicable manners yeah risk yeah yeah they just they feel like movies that take zero risk because they very particularly do not take any risks they're they're focus grouped into the ground but that I mean you know honestly my New Year's resolution might be to just never mention Marvel movies ever again. Just pretend that they don't exist. The same way that, like, you wouldn't hear me going on a rant about how much I hate Lifetime movies. You know? Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like, well, it, duh, of course he doesn't like Lifetime movies. Um, <laughs> I might just, do, I might just do that. Is that a fucking wasp, bro? Get the fuck away. Oh, the Return of the Wasps. Yeah. Throwback yeah. episode. What six? <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, except that was that was just me. Now I got this little guy to, like, the little baby gets stung by a wasp. That's a bad scene. Yeah. Um, Rowan got eaten up by mosquitoes the other day, and his hands were all swollen like Popeye. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I, I was outside <laughs> with him, and I was like, I didn't see no mosquitoes. <laughs> you, did you like right, put your right. hand in a, in some tall grass or something? Yeah, yeah. Babies are fucking crazy, dude. Like this dude, as as we're recording it right now, what time is it? Is it like two twelve thirty or something? One oh six. It's one. It's one. He's still up. <laughs> He's, he hasn't he hasn't napped, and it's because like I haven't essentially put in the the energy of the effort to wear him out, and that's the funny part about having a kid, is like if you get lazy, well, guess what, bitch? They're not gonna go to sleep. So what ended up happening is like he's tired, but he's not bone tired, which is where he's got to be for a nap. So while we were recording, he was like walking from toy box to toy box and opening cupboards and, you know, doing normal baby shit, but like on zombie mode because he's he's fucking exhausted. (laughs) But he's like, hmm, I'm missing something here. So 
something, something, some ritual was not performed adequately, and uh, therefore I cannot nap. Since there's no American distributor of this movie, it's not wrong of me to put it on the Patreon, right? No. No, I don't think so. That's that's a really clever idea. I don't think so because you could put it on. Well, if you put it on YouTube, you're not making money from it. I think that that sounds to me like a legal gray area. Yep, legal gray area. If y'all want to go uh, Patreon.com/agitator, when we find <laughs> we find this shit. No, you know, you know what we do it, instead of instead of doing that, just. That might you might be completely legally in the clear after that, especially if you word it like, "Hey, we found this, like we're not the ones who uploaded it." Mm. That makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Just put it up on. All right, you have to show me how to do that because I'm retarded. But yep, we'll do that. Oh, it's oh, it's easy. It's, I'll send you the link. It's easy. It's just like you just click a button and upload it, and then it gives you a link. And people can follow the link to download it. Big bit. But, uh, you know, we went through the, the hassle of finding it and pirating it, but we can just make it a step easier for our patrons. An excellent, excellent quality version of it, too. The 1080p Blu-ray rip, it was, mm-hmm. it was spectacular. And the subtitles were, like, uh, not laid out correctly in every single scene. Mm-hmm. Some of them, like, kind of overlapped, but um, yeah. they were good. Finally, they were finally good. some they good, good subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't like decision to leave, which made the movie almost unwatchable. I know, I had no idea um, what the fuck was happening in that movie. <laughs> yeah, me neither, dude. But um, man, that's a good idea. Yeah, go sign up for the sign up for the Agitator Patreon, and there'll be a link that that we didn't upload that we just found. Uh, if you want to watch this movie, because uh, it's it's. Uh, a real shame that this movie got no distribution in the United States. I love the I love the crows in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this should be a good audio episode, I think. Um, you just want to call it there, fifty-two minutes. Yeah, that's good. All right, cool. All right, cool. And I'll stop.